You're listening to episode 13 of the Beam Life Podcast. You guys, I am so amped right now. My dreams have totally come true. I originally created the Beam Life to do exactly what we've done today, and that's bring a community of incredible women together to share their story with you. So today I have my best friend in the whole entire universe that I've known my whole life here today, and she is in town in LA from Texas, and um, I have the special privilege and treat to interview her and get her story and share that with you. So I know it will be as inspiring for you as it was for me. She has gone through some very huge challenges in her life and has overcome them and come out stronger on the other end. And I cannot wait to dive deeper into that and share that with you guys. So be sure to tune in, take some notes, Take a selfie, post it to the gram, tag at the Beam Life, and show my girl Abby some love for being so vulnerable and courageous with you today. So here we go, guys. I'm so pumped. Welcome to the Beam Life Podcast, a rad and soulful show designed to set your heart on fire. As a hive, we will chat all things lifestyle, dig deep on how to achieve your wildest dreams, discover your confidence, and live the most fierce version of you. Yes, Beam Babe! You can be everything and more. Here's your host, the Beam Boss herself, Caitlin. What is going on, Beam Babes? I am so freaking excited, you guys. You have no idea. So when I started the Beam Life podcast, my dream was to bring all my favorite Beam Babes and people from my life that inspire me um, and that have been part of the fabric of who I am onto the show and talk about their life because community has always been really important to me. And I think as women... You know, if we could learn to lean on each other a little bit more and support each other rather than, you know, knock each other down, we could build each other up and be much stronger. So um, it is just my ultimate pleasure, and I'm so excited to be here with my best friend in the whole world who I've literally known my entire life. We are six months apart in age, and since the day she was born, because I am six months her senior, we have known each other um, for 33 years. Um, And what makes my amazing best friend, Abby, a total beam babe, um, is the fact that she has overcome some pretty phenomenal things in her life. And on top of that, she is a mom of two adorable toddlers, has a full-time career, and a wife. Um, And during her life, she has overcome an eating disorder and body dysmorphia, has dealt with mental illness and suicide in her family, and most recently co-founded Midlothian Breathe, which is a mom-founded environmental group. So I'm really excited to sort of get to know her on a deeper level and share her story with all of you guys. And I hope it inspires you as much as it does me. So uh, we're going to get this party started. So hey, girl. Hey. I just can't believe that after, seriously, 33 years, we get the amazing, sorry, our cat's like totally up in our jam right now, um, is to get the pleasure of sitting down and talking together and sharing your story. And I'm so excited to be here and be a part of the Beam Life and get to experience this with you because it's just so cool being your best friend forever 
and getting to just have this with you. So I'm very excited to be here. Yeah, and this is a total special treat for me because Abby lives in Texas. So the fact that not only we get to be together, but that she also gets to be my first guest on the Beam Life is really special and for I'm me. So honored. So thanks for taking part of your vacay to share your story. Of course. Um, the first thing I kind of really want to talk to you about, and I know in particular, I deal with it a lot being in the fitness industry, but I went through this sort of side by side with you and, and experiencing it. But in chronological order, I sort of want to talk about your eating disorder, right? Because that started at a pretty young age. So how old were you when you first kind of started having this negative relationship and thoughts about your body and with your body? So I sort of grew up um, with an unhealthy relationship with food, watching my example of my mom and her relationship with food. And so I don't know that I ever really had that healthy I never got that foundation of a healthy relationship. And then I remember um, I was 12 and my older sister had developed an eating disorder. Um, and we saw it, we watched my mom have an eating disorder. And then my older sister showed uh, Maitland, my twin sister and I, how to have an eating disorder. And I think from there is when things really took off. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't think I ever really had a healthy body image or relationship with food and kind of what were some things that sort of triggered those feelings for you was it images of certain things or a way that you felt or was it just control that you felt you had like what kind of triggered having that initial you know wanting to have this eating disorder um it was definitely body dysmorphia I never felt comfortable in my own skin I think also the pressures of where we grew up and um, those sort of things and always being so focused on our bodies really played into that. And at such a young age, you know, you're going through hormonal changes and girls are starting to be catty with one another and you start judging yourself. And I think I was so, I had such a bad image of myself and I never had that confidence that it really triggered that eating disorder and then once I learned how to have an eating disorder and that I could control myself in my food intake that it really took off. Could you imagine if we had all the things that kids have now like the social media and all of that? I mean we were talking about it like last night over some wine and how terrified we are as mothers for this generation. Um, but you know, you talk about girls being catty and it's like, now you hear about this constant bullying and stuff like that. And it's like, man, all of those issues we had as teens would have been highlighted and even worse, I think with all the social media and everything now. So it's definitely something you talk about being a role model. I think that's really huge. Both of us being moms and examples in our communities. Um, that's, that's really huge to touch upon. So Um, when did you know that your eating disorder was actually a disorder and when did it become such a problem, um, that you knew it was sort of out of your control and how did you ask for support on that? So, um, it got to a place where my family finally stepped in and I had lost such a significant amount of weight that, um, they forced me and it was forced to go into therapy. And I had been in therapy before, but never to talk about my eating disorder and never to admit that I had an eating disorder. And this therapist, I think she saw the writing on the wall that I 
there was, I was far beyond just getting help from her office and that I needed to go inpatient. So she did exercises with me to have me write down, what are you, what do you eat on a daily basis? So she had me see on a piece of paper my eating disorder and it scared me because I wasn't eating. Um, and then your reaction um, at my sister's wedding and you started bawling, crying when you saw me. And it was things like that that sort of pushed me into, okay, I have a serious problem. But I was so far beyond anything getting help um, that I had to call my dad and say, you know, I made this decision and I wanted a new life. I, I really did want to become a different person. And the only, and I knew that the only way to do that was to go inpatient. That's, I mean, I think one of the most powerful things taking from that experience, right, is knowing you want something different and being okay to ask for help. Even if you had asked for help in the past or maybe been offered help and you denied it, having the courage to ask for help and know you want something different and that you couldn't do it on your own, I think takes a lot of courage. It so, definitely did. Um, and it's scary because you could be rejected, right? right? And that help could no longer be there, but you did reach out and, and did get that help. Um, so going inpatient and being in recovery, um, what did you learn about yourself kind of going through that and being at the treatment center? So I, I went in, like I said, wanting to be a different person. And at, through that, I learned that it was going to take a lot of work, that I was going to have to wake up every day and think, I want to be this different person. And what would I do to, what can I do to accomplish that? And I learned tools and, you know, inpatient, going inpatient, I didn't come out better, but I got the tools I needed to do intuitive eating and learn how to eat and take care of myself and put myself first and take care of my needs and that I was enough that and I could do that and I needed to do that for myself um, and so I learned a lot of how to reflect on my life I learned how to self-love self-care and just learn to have a new life that's so amazing and I think like you said it's not about being perfect getting out of recovery because right. it's not like you go in you come out perfect but you were willing to learn the tools and you came out and you kept that in practice. Um, and that has been now for how long? Like how right. long have you been in recovery? So now I've been in recovery for, and I say recovery with the day I got out, that was 11 years ago, but it's always a process. My recovery sure. is ever changing. Um, you talked about social media. So in the last year, I had to unfollow a lot of you know fashion bloggers and things that were really triggering for me. And this is after you know, 10, 11 years in recovery. Um, my Apple Watch, I had to give it up because it became a huge trigger for me. So I've been in recovery 11 years, but I'm always focusing on and trying to self-reflect, okay, you know, what is a trigger for me? How am I doing? Um, I need to eat lunch today. Sometimes I have those days. So, yeah. but it's been great. It's been 11 years and I work hard at it. That's amazing. And, and I think so inspiring too, because dealing with so many people who have dealt with opposite problems like, you know, closet eating and binging, which is also considered an eating disorder, and me being in that industry and also dealing with weight loss issues and body dysmorphia issues myself, it's 
empowering to hear that you know you're not alone in these thoughts and that there's other people although our struggles are different we're all in this together and none of us wake up feeling like every day we look like amazing humans you know (laughs) (laughs) and it's always this horrible comparison game but when you come back to knowing and surrounding yourself with other bean babes and people who believe truly in their heart that we are enough how we are you start to also pick up on that culture versus hanging out with people who are super superficial and want to always be looking like somebody else. I think that's a big thing is to surround yourself with people who build you up. And when you are having a bad body dysmorphia day, I do all the time to Andy, my husband, I say, you know, I'm having a really bad body day and a really hard day. And I think it's really important the people that you surround yourself with are going to take you where you want to be. That's, yeah, it's it's all about the community, and that's why it's part of having you on yes. here is so awesome. So um, I know that, you know, you've had two adorable kids who I love. They're so freaking cute. And with each of those pregnancies, you ended up gaining 80, 80 pounds, plus, yeah, 80, um, 80 plus pounds. So having two pregnancies within these last 10 years or 11 years, talk about recovery. How did you deal with gaining that weight? And then um, mentally kind of overcoming that and losing it the right way. So that was um, an int- interesting for me because I knew having my eating disorder passed that it was going to be hard for me in pregnancy. So I sort of prepared myself long before and I knew I wanted to be a mom. But gaining the weight during the pregnancy wasn't the hard part because, you know, oh, it's beautiful. I have this baby. I sort of learned to really embrace my body. I talked a lot about it with my sister, with Andy, with my parents, with everybody about, you know, how beautiful it was to be pregnant. But once I had the baby, and, and I talk about baby first with William, it was a shock to me because my body had completely changed. And I, for the first time in my life worked out since going to treatment and doing things a healthy way and i having a child changed and changed me and i knew i had to do it the healthy way i knew i couldn't fall back into old habits i knew i needed to be the best version of myself for my child and then after elizabeth it changed even more because i had a girl and i knew that my example growing up was not positive and where it had led me so you know, I it was a struggle, and I can't say every day was perfect. There were lots of tears. There were lots of hard days. There were, you know, bawling, crying over not fitting into pants. But it was being very vocal about it and telling Andy, you know, I'm have I can't do this, and fo- just really trying to focus on the positive and being a positive person for my kids. Yeah. And also getting into a really healthy fitness routine, right? Yes, Um, the self-love. And for me, I look at fitness. I was scared to get into fitness because it can trigger eating disorder things for me. But now I look at it as self-love. And so I got, and I knew I wanted to do things the healthy way. So now I'm in a routine and the fitness is so great for me. And it's not just about the physical way I, the way I look, but also about mentally how it's making me feel. And that helped a huge amount that yeah. mindset yeah mindset is everything and just going in um to all that you do whether it's like cooking with your family or being an example of fitness and not doing anything extreme but that right. this is just how you live your life now 
Um, so I know a big thing for you and part of your recovery process has been giving back to your treatment center and the community in general. So how do you give back to the community and people who might be struggling with eating disorders currently? So part of my recovery, I knew when I was in treatment, um, they have a recovery speaker come to every session um, once a month. And I knew when I was in treatment, I said to myself, I want to be one of these people that comes back and speaks because I remember the girl that changed me in treatment. And so each year I go back once a year um, to speak at one of the family weeks. And when I go speak at the family weeks, I'm speaking to the adult women and the adolescent women and all their family members that come to family week. And I give my story of recovery and I answer lots of questions. Um, I've taken my parents before. They answer, help answer questions for people. Um, and it's really just trying to give them that hope that I was given while in treatment. Um, I also, last year was my first year to be a walk coordinator for NIDA, the National Eating Disorder Association walk in Dallas. Um, we, they had to change our goal because we kept succeeding and going over our goal. So they kept, you know, we raised over $20,000 for NIDA. Um, and this year I'm the walk coordinator again. I've also been invited to an invite-only conference for them, which is exciting. Um, so, you know, I, I try and give back in any way that I can. I also speak at the local high school once a year. Um, and I, you know, and I'm really always open about my eating disorder because I want those struggling to see there is hope on the other side. Yeah. There is help asking for help. Um, you know, it's scary, but it's worth it. And I also like to educate people that just because you're not super thin doesn't mean you don't have an eating disorder. People of all sizes can have eating disorders. And I think that sometimes this is a skewed, um, image in society. So I, you know, I give back just in every way that I possibly can. That's so amazing. And, and I know it takes a lot of guts because sometimes there's so much shame wrapped around eating disorders or mental illness and all that kind of stuff. And we sort of hide it, right? Because we don't want to be judged on it. But if we can't share our story, how can we possibly create impact or help other people that are going through this? And so um, I think it's really courageous and super vulnerable of you to like go out there and be so open and honest and answer these questions. Um, what would you tell somebody that is struggling with this right now? Um, if you could see them face to face and offer a word of advice, what would you tell them? That you're not alone. Um, you're not struggling alone and to reach out and that there is hope and there is life beyond this eating disorder. I was in a very severe place and the fact that I overcame it, if I can do it, it's possible. Like there is so much life to live and I always say this when I go speak. My dad once said to me, there is no dress rehearsal. You only get one chance. And he was talking about parenting, but I take that in life. We don't get as you know, you don't get another life. This is it. So make the most of it and ask that ask for the help and you don't have to struggle and suffer in silence. That's such a powerful thing because it's it's really true. Like we get this one opportunity, right? And make it count and do it the way you want to, and that feels authentic to you. So um yeah, all of that is such powerful information and just knowledge and wisdom and courage all wrapped into one thing. So thank you for sharing that part of your life. Um, and it's really cool because even though we've known each other forever, literally, 
Um, it's special for me to get to ask you these questions because when we're together, we're always catching up and doing all these other things. But it's really cool for me because these are things I've never even gotten to really talk to you about. So um, yeah, it's, it's great. So in life, as we all know, there are major moments that happen and some are positive and some are negative. But no matter what, there are these defining moments that happen that change your life in one way or the other. And I remember back in 2012 exactly where I was when I got this um, phone call from you. And I can't even imagine, because I know how I felt, how you were feeling at this time. And the call was that you told me, Kendall, your older sister, and to some degree felt like you know a sister to me, had taken her own life. And it is one of those moments that forever changes you when it happens. So how have you dealt with that and it being sort of a new normal? Because as we sort of talk about, it's not something you really overcome, um, but it is now a part of your life. And how have you dealt with that and learning about mental illness and suicide and, and how has that taught you to sort of live your life and what that means to you? So it, I, I remember that day, I remember sitting on the floor and crouched down by this tree that was in our house and calling you over and over until you answered because it was super early for you. Um, that was, that was a day that, you know, shook, shook me to my core um, and, you know, I never, I knew mental illness was in our family, obviously, with my eating disorder. Um, my mom has some stuff. My dad, you know, it sort of has flowed through our family. So, but you never think that this is going to happen. And it did. And it was shocking. It was devastating. It was so tragic. And, you know, you do have to find a new, a new normal. And to do that, it was looking at reflecting on Kendall's life and you know we had talked about this earlier but I remember at her funeral people came hundreds of people came it was huge it was huge and um they were there because not because of the cute shoes she wore or the fabulous handbag she had or um for any other reason but because of the way that she touched their life and that was so impactful for me and the life that she led. Although she, you know, she suffered in silence with her mental illness. Um, but it, looking back on it, I was able to take that and think, okay, how, what, what can I do in life now to be better? Like, I want to be like that. And, you know, through, it's sad that through her death, she taught me so much. And I've had to, for my new normal, take her, things that I learned from her and not let her her death be in vain. So doing, you know, suicide awareness walks with our family, um, speaking openly about it. I've had a counselor from our local high school call me and say, can I talk to you about suicide? Are you okay with that? And I always make sure to mention it to people. Um, Andy has talked to his class about it when he's had people say, you know, they're suicidal. He's had talks with them. And so I've, you know, my new normal has been now advocating for mental illness and not letting it the stigma be behind it and I'm really big about that I don't think that people should be looked down upon um, for having a mental illness because 
a lot of people do. And, um, but you know, you, you asked how, um, I, you know, take what, what has this brought in my life? And I want to live a life of purpose. And the things that I'm doing now, speaking out at Laureate and the Nita Walk and the Suicide Walks and Midlothian Breathe, it's because of Kendall. And I saw at her funeral that it's the lives she touched and the way she gave back that brought people to her. And that's how they remembered her. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I think all the time, how are people going to remember me? Yeah. And I want to live a life of purpose. She always did bring the party. She That's did. for sure. Everyone always talked about when Kendall was in the room, you knew Kendall was in the room. Yes, and her hugs and the light she brought. And, and her awesome she, dance moves. Yes, and she, and, you know, and she gave back. And that was, she was living a life of service. She was a really big women empowerment. And, yeah. you know, she wanted a women a woman to run for president and it was after her death that Hillary Clinton finally ran um which she would have loved and you know and so she just gave purpose to life and i saw that that purpose is what brought people what that's what her legacy that's left in people yeah. they donated a whole thing she lived in Williamsport Pennsylvania and they have donated so much in her honor they had a whole flower exhibit in her honor because of all the things that she did for that community and I think it's, again, so powerful the fact that, you know, even the topic of conversation when it has to deal with suicide, um, especially when it's a sibling, can be very sensitive and almost feel like you don't want to talk about it. But by you and your family being such an open book and being out there in a community where there are so many people suffering and whether that is the individual who has had the suicidal thoughts or the um, families dealing with a suicide, you guys are there as a shining light, as a beam of light, you know, to shed hope on what can come afterwards. Right. Um, and knowing that you don't have to suffer in silence and be so quiet. Um, and I think that you just being able to talk about it is probably, in a sense, a little bit therapeutic for you. Oh, definitely. I mean, it, I, it is, it's a great way to get it out for me. And I sort of held a lot in when she passed away and to be able to talk about it and just give hope to people through her death um is it's empowering for me it really is yeah and and I also carry a lot of that when I think about the things I do and leaving an impact and again it goes back to that dress rehearsal comment your dad makes right it's we get this one opportunity this one life and How is it? And we're not guaranteed anything. And I spoke about that in the legacy episode too, after hearing about Kobe Bryant, it's just, we never know when our ticket is going to be called. And so what can we do every day? And it doesn't have to be on this grand, massive global scale, but it can be within our little community or family, even that we are an example of living a good life and a life of purpose. Yes, living so, a life of purpose. I think, you know, I, I do wake up a lot and think, okay, and I pray a lot, you know, let me lead this life of purpose. And my goal for the year was to be more present. And last year, my goal, my resolution for the year was to live a life of purpose. And I feel like I've really stepped out and done that. And I, the driving force behind it was Kendall's funeral. Yeah. And I think 
kind of leading into all this, it's sort of segued into you doing this Midlothian breed. Oh, definitely. This, you know, and Kendall was such an activist and always went for what she believed in. And so, yeah, Midlothian Breathe, starting Midlothian Breathe, um, definitely was part of living this life of purpose and standing up for what I believe in. Yeah, so tell me a little bit more about this because I know, as I mentioned, you are a super busy mom of two. Yes. Have this career, you know, you go to all of Andy's games and you are very present in that community as well. So... You know, how did you manage to start Midlothian Breathe and what is it all about? Yes, yeah, so I do have a two year old and a four year old, about to be three and five. So I am busy with them. I do work full time. Um, Andy's a, bas- a full time basketball coach, high school basketball coach. So we are busy. But what happened was I saw somebody post something on Facebook and I knew where I lived in Midlothian, Texas, is the cement capital of Texas. So there's cement plants all over. And a mom a few years ago at a workout class actually had mentioned how her son had severe asthma and respiratory issues and that they got worse when she moved to Midlothian. And 10 years prior, she had tried to fight some permits by the cement plants in our town. So fast forward two years and now this one of the cement plants had put through a permit um, application to increase their emissions, meaning they were gonna start polluting more. Things had gotten cleaned up since the 2000s and now they wanna go back. And I'm thinking, this is the year 2020. This is not real. So I said, I, you know, I decided I have to get involved. This cement plant backs up to the school that my son will go to. So another mom and I, got connected and we thought okay we're gonna start this and we're gonna fight this permit request and we're gonna fight this billion dollar corporation of Lafarge Wholesome cement plant in Midlothian Texas so my driving force for this is my kids you know in our community and it's the year 2020 and there's so many efforts to reduce emissions and you know help our climate and our in our world but in Midlothian, Texas, they don't want to do this because it is a small little town in Texas, and Texas is a big industry um, state. So I started Midlothian Breathe, and I knew I'm busy, and I have a lot going on, but I can make time for this because where there's a will, there's a way. Always. So you've got these two moms yes. going up a, a, against a billion-dollar corporation. Yes. But, so you know, rad. we've gotten, yes, it's, you know, and people, people think we're crazy sometimes and especially in our well, little, we are. we're crazy moms. Yeah, we are. And, <laughs> you know, and I said at a city council meeting, my mama bear instincts kicked in and I'm going to fight this. And I had somebody tell me recently, you know, a group of young moms is scarier than about any other person <laughs> on this earth because we will not give up. Um, so we've been featured in the newspaper in our local, we are on front page of our local newspaper. Um, in the Fort Worth Star-Telegram, and the Dallas Morning News, as two moms opposing this wholesome permit. And we're going to keep fighting. We've done our research, and we won't stop. We will stop at nothing. That is so amazing. I, I just am so inspired by this story, and I've been following it and you on Facebook. Um, tell me a little bit more about, like, who does this specifically affect? So the – actually – a lot of the DFW area will be affected because, you know, the emissions don't just stay. They go up, the smoke smokestack come out, and they blow downwind. So it does affect a lot more people than they 
than people think or know. Um, so it's not just our immediate community, which will have be the most impacted, but it's also everyone downwind and down into Arlington, Texas, and Mansfield, and all different areas. So there's a, a large population that will be affected by this. Um, we've been invited and got a free booth at EarthX, so we'll be presenting there and having a booth there to get more awareness because um, it, it will affect a lot of the DFW area. So how has learning about the environment and co-founding Midlothian Breathe, um, how has that impacted your day-to-day -day life? I know you've kind of highlighted some things that you've done um, directly within your office and at home. So talk to me a little bit more about that and what people can do in their own homes. So um, once I got involved with Midlothian Breathe and I really took a dive into our environment um, at our office, we were using styrofoam and single-use plasticware and paper plates. And I took it to our HR and said, you know, uh, some of our clients have dishes. We have access to free dishes, free tableware. Um, why are we doing this? We could save money and help the environment. So. I did a push in our office and everybody, nobody likes change, but <laughs> um, everyone is now forced to use glass dishes, um, flatware that's reusable, um, paper straws, and we gave away cups at our office so everybody has a water bottle that they can bring. And they have to clean their dishes and put them in the dishwasher at our office every day. Um, you know, so it, it just has made me more aware. It's made me you know, care more about the environment at home. You know, I'm always looking for things, ways to reduce plastic. You know, we were talking about that earlier. Um, what can I do and how am I gonna help the environment? I don't buy water bottles anymore. Um, I use all my, my reusable water bottles. Um, so, you know, it's just made me more conscious and care a lot more. Yeah, and it's, it's leaving a better earth and environment for our kids in the next generation. I right. think that a lot of people are thinking right now, you know, and not futuristically what we're doing. And we are causing a lot of damage. And it doesn't have to be changing everything. Right. It can be small things. And if everybody did something small, it would make a big change. Um, so I think that is so crazy. And, and just, you know, knowing you my whole life, I know that anything you put your mind to, it's going to get accomplished. So... I am definitely scared for this corporation. <laughs> well, I, I, that city council better listen to us because we're not stopping. So how can people support you that are listening and find out more about the cause and um, be able to help you guys fight this? So you can follow us on Facebook at Midlothian Breathe. We do have a Facebook page. We have a website which gives you more information than you've ever cared to know about the cement industry in Midlothian, Texas. So at midlothianbreathe.org. Um, right now we've, we're hi we've hired an independent expert to review the permit on our behalf. Um, so we are have a GoFundMe that's posted on our Facebook page for that. And just the support, you know, we have a lot of people that troll us um, because a lot of people can do that behind a computer screen and say some nasty things to us. And you know, just the support and hearing people, the positive comments is what keeps us going. Because, you know, we have to overlook the negative, but the positive. So just that positive support is what really drives us. How do you deal with those those trolls? You just pay no mind? Well, you know, sometimes I have to stop looking at the Facebook page because, you know, you have that 
always have those couple people that will give the laughing emoji or call us crackpot lunatics. And, you know, sometimes I have to take a step away from social media and say, okay, I'm not going to look at the Midlothian Breathe page because they're not being supportive. Yeah, I totally agree. It's, you know, people are always going to have an opinion about something and we just have to, you know, if you're not brave enough to step out there and say who you really are, it's like, it's kind of hard to even care about what they say. I mean, I just learned I've got to, you know, if you're going to stand up for a cause and you truly honestly believe in it, you've just got to have a thick skin and know, and and always remind yourself why you're doing it. I'm doing this because I know that this is important and I have the facts, Right. you know, and I know I'm educated And the other mom I'm working with is a pediatrician and she runs a NICU unit at a hospital. I mean, we're educated women. So, and I know what we're fighting for. And I just, we just have to remind ourselves of that a lot. You know what you know. Exactly. It makes you strong. So, um, you know, two questions that I want to ask you that to kind of wrap up our amazing conversation today is what advice would your current mature being babe self tell to your past self? I would tell myself to be confident and that you are enough. Um, I never had that confidence and I wish I had the confidence growing up that I have now. And that, you know, just to keep moving forward, who cares what anyone else thinks? Ain't that the truth, right? Just live your life. Live your best life. Yes. Um, And lastly, what makes you beam? Self-care. My my exercise, my workout at 5 a.m. Everybody thinks I'm crazy, but I do it before my kids because that is how I self-love. Um, I give that to myself. So important, and I think that we could all use a little bit more self-love. So I am just so honored and privileged to have this conversation with you. I just Thanks for having me. Yeah, I mean, you know, to be able to connect with you on this level is so special, and I know just knowing who you are at your core that – you are unstoppable and you are enough and you are just one of the most incredible women I've ever known in my whole life. Thank you. And I am just lucky to call you a best friend. So thank you for sharing your story. And uh, that's all we got for you, Bean Babes. Yeah, hope y'all enjoyed. (laughs) I know, we had to throw in a (laughs) y'all. All right, guys, have a good one. Bye. The Beam Life Podcast records episodes weekly and can be found on Instagram at The Beam Life and at beamlife.com.